while we're getting started, I'm going to ask you if you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm 55, and we're going to look at a couple of different Psalms um, as we go along. And while you're doing that, let me just say, um, let's see here, hang on, I made notes. Uh, Pineapple, where's Karis? And Tukas. Okay, that probably doesn't make any sense to any of you here, but for a lot of years now, I started something I shouldn't have started probably, but when my children, my earlier children were a little bit younger, I had this little game that we would play whenever I would preach, and as you give me a few words, and I'll try to wrap them into the sermon in some way. I didn't have time to wrap pineapple and took us in, so I'm saying them now so that I can go home and say, look, I said them. So, now you know a little bit of the main 07 secret that usually occurs. I usually start to get a list of words when we discover that I'm preaching for any reason at all. Um, as Mike mentioned, Don is away. He is preaching at Temple Baptist Church in Jonesboro. And I can remember, let's two weeks ago, I think it was, we were in staff meeting, and he started talking about this. He originally told them no, and as he was uh, praying through it, they, they, of course, called him back and said, you know, we just really think you're the person to bring a word for our topic today. And uh, he said, but, you know, that means that we've got um, kind of a, a soon Sunday that needs to be filled. And I remember thinking in that very moment, and I want you to understand something, I, and I've said this before. I don't, I don't sit in staff meeting. I don't sit where you are and chomp at the bit to take this spot. I really don't. I mean, honestly, I don't. And I, I, I say that in all seriousness because early in my ministry, I did that. Early in my ministry as a student pastor sitting in a pew, I would sit there and critique and say, I think I could do a better job. And that's arrogance. And that's ungodly, honestly. And I would chomp at the bit, wanting to be up there, not because I wanted people to hear the word of God so much, but because I wanted them to hear me. And that's wrong. And so I've told Don on many occasions, look, you do not have to sit and worry about whether I'm crying to preach. I'm not, and I don't mean I don't want to share the word of God. I mean, I'm not sitting there thinking, I wish I could have a few shots at this. I really don't. I love what I do. I love how God has placed me. I love how God has wired me. I love the ministry that God has placed me in. And I love all of the ministries that God has placed me in over the last 20 years. And I've seen a lot of things in my 20 years. And I know that's not a long time. But when you're in ministry, you see a lot of things in a short amount of time. And so I've walked with families that have had twins and lost one and gained, kept the other. I've walked with families who have had the prodigal child and they've had to go out in the middle of the night trying to find that child in downtown Memphis because they just don't know where she is. I've had to have a student arrested before. I've written a note to a judge, a letter, asking that he would execute certain kinds of judgments but maybe reserve some of them, hoping that God would reach that student. I've celebrated with families. I've grieved with families. I've watched a mother lay up in a crib at Le Bonheur Hospital because her son, who was just a few years old, he was a big boy, but he was her baby still, with lesions on his brain, wondering why in the world we're having to go through this. And I watched her cuddle with her child up in a crib at Le Bonheur Hospital. I prayed for that family. I've grieved with a wife as her husband was being carted off, being arrested because of his solicitations to minors over the internet. 
Ministry is not easy. It's not. And over the years, I'm going to do something today that I have never done in all of my years of ministry. And I'm very nervous about it. I'll be honest with you, I'm really nervous. I say I'm nervous all the time. I'm really nervous today. <laughs> because never in my life have I stood behind any pulpit at any church and preached a message that had anything to do with anything I was going through in a single moment. Never. That changes today. That changes today because I'm 13 weeks down a road that I don't enjoy. I'm 13 weeks down a road that I hate with all of my heart. And I don't know why, sitting in staff meeting two weeks ago, when Don said, I'm going to need somebody to fill the spot, the Holy Spirit told me in my heart in that moment, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that spot. And I don't know how you raise your hand and say, hey, I'll preach that spot for you. But I was sitting there thinking, Don, I really think the Lord's going to give me a message for Sunday. And I'm just trusting the Lord to do so, and I know that he has. I believe that there are people in this room, on this floor, in this balcony, that could possibly be experiencing the same kind of nonsense, same kind of junk, the same kind of difficulty that I am 13 weeks into right now. I want to show you a picture as we get started. This is a picture of a waterfall. I hope you can see it clearly. This may look familiar to some of you. I don't know if you've ever been to Pickwick Lake or not. I spent every summer of my life at Pickwick Lake. This is called Cooper Falls, and I can remember as young as a very little boy taking our boat, my grandfather taking our boat to this fall because we could watch it, and if you look up at the very top left of the screen, you'll see there's a rope hanging up there, and over the bottom right of the screen, there's a rope there. This falls is 50 feet high. People jump off this falls. I have jumped off this falls. Many times. I'll never forget the very first time I jumped off this falls. I was 12 years old. I was, and I'm like, what was my mom thinking? I, was, I, mean, when I, I mean, I've got a 12-year-old, and I'm thinking, I don't know that I would just, because the way this played out is nobody went with me. I went by myself. I mean, people were up there, you know, you, you, typical drunks and stuff like that that do stupid stuff. And, <laughs> but I can remember we brought the boat up to this cove, at Pickwick Lake, and my grandfather pulled up, and it's like, this is my moment. I'm going to do this. And you need to understand, this does not scare me at all. Heights do not bother me. Roller coasters do not bother me. I love this kind of stuff. I love the thrill of something like this. I wish it was higher. I don't even need, like, practice. I'm just going to get up there and bail off. And I can remember my uncle telling me, you probably should wear your shoes, because if your feet slap the water, it's going to sting. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, feet slap the water? What are you and so, here's the thing, you swim over, or your boat, if you can get up in there, if there's not too crowded, you go up there to this rope over here, and that's how you get up. You climb up that rope, you go back behind the trees, you go all the way to the top, and you go across all the slippery rocks of the creek bed, and you come back around here to where this rope is. Some people will climb up to the top of that tree and jump off. Mom wouldn't let me do that. And then there's always some, some wise sage up there to tell you about the guy that's been killed before doing this. I'm 12 years old. Yeah, you know, a dude from Memphis died a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, what? 
And it's true. I mean, there's people that have died jumping off this falls. I got up there and I planted both feet on the slippery rock and I bailed off that falls all in. And I plunged into that water and I absolutely loved every moment of it. It was so exhilarating. Let me show you another picture. You see these rocks right here? Those rocks scare me to death. They scare me to death. In the fall, my grandmother and I used to play on rocks just like this because they line the Tennessee River and they're down at Pickwick Lake and they, they kind of shelf out like that. They're fun to get on. They're flat so you can skip them across the lake. You have a good old time, but do not dare put my feet in that water. I hate being anywhere near these rocks because in my mind, every... <laughs> because in my mind... There's stuff under there that's going to come out and grab me. All these crevices have something that's just there to get me. I mean, you know, these guys that do noodling and they go catfishing and they stick their hands up in banks and logs and stuff, that drives me. I can't imagine that. There's no way I'm swimming anywhere near this at all. But here, the thing about that waterfall is the only way to get up to that waterfall is you have to swim over to that rope. And there's full of these rocks. And I didn't want to tell anybody. And so my feet, I'm like, I'm treading water over there. My feet are hanging up as close as possible. I'm almost back floating so that I can reach the rope, and I don't want my feet to touch these rocks, but man, I want to jump off that waterfall. And so I, I drag, literally drag my legs up the, up the side of the cliff until they are out of the water, and I plant them on the rock, and then I climb the rest of the way up. I hate this kind of thing. I mean, to this day, it gives me the hibbity-jibbities like you do not believe. I just cannot, there's no, I would drown before I would swim over to climb out on these rocks. I really would. One day we were out on the boat with my grandfather, and it was probably the same day, it was probably a similar, well, I think it was later because I was older, I was 15 or 16, and I can remember we had dropped anchor by some similar rocks, and my grandfather forgot to pull the anchor up, and he took off with the boat, and it strained a little bit, and pop! He broke the rope of the anchor. My grandfather is not going to leave something like that behind. I'm the only cat that was wet that day. <laughs> hey, Todd, you're already wet. Get in there and find my anchor. Oh, my grandfather's a man's man. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he was a man's man. My grandfather worked for the Defense Department of the United States government. He was an engineer for some of the greatest rockets that are still even used today. My grandfather was an army ranger. My grandfather would hold a butterfly in his hand and tell you about how it converts from a caterpillar to a butterfly. But as a kid, I watched my grandfather jump into the water by a dock and lift out a boat motor that fell off the boat when he was trying to put it on his fishing boat. It might have only been five feet deep, but in this little kid's mind, my grandfather dove down to the depths of the ocean and dragged that motor up, threw it up on the dock, and put it on the boat, and we went fishing. My grandfather, these rocks right here, encircle a cove where one of the marinas, one of the marinas, sorry, where he kept a boat was. And I can remember, I hated marinas too. And I remember one day he dropped his keys, his car keys, in the water. And my grandfather, a man's man, he dove down underneath that marina with all those little barrels that hold it and keep it floating. No, I mean nothing, no gear. He dove down and he just felt around the bottom of the water, I mean of the, of the lake, and found those keys and brought them up. I've never, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I've seen an alligator gar swim down there. So he tells me, 
hey, get that anchor. And so I get in the, I'm in the water, and I'm like, oh, and I mean, it's up to my chest, and I, you can't see the bottom. It's not like crystal clear, and the rocks are right there. I mean, you can almost touch them, and I feel the bottom, and it's like silty, and I'm like, oh. He's like, just kick around. You'll find it, or just swim down. And I'm like, oh, and I turn my back, and because I, I was upset, I swear I think I was going to cry. I was probably 15 years old. Eventually, my grandmother or somebody realized, I think my grandfather in his wisdom recognized that I was afraid. He said, you know, it'll be okay. I got other anchors. Just get in the boat. Come on up here. He allowed me to save face. He, gave me, he allowed me the dignity of my fear in that moment. Ladies and gentlemen, I have spent 13 weeks being very, very afraid. Terribly terribly afraid. In all the years of my ministry where God has allowed me to experience certain things, it's helped me relate to other people. My medical history helps me relate to an aging generation that is losing their capacity to do things or losing their independence, and I think that is a gift. But when a friend of mine on the phone talks to me and says, Todd, do you think you're having panic attacks? My answer is no, but I can't explain what I'm going through. I can't explain why I wake up sometimes in the morning after a full night's sleep, if I did sleep, and my legs quiver and shake, and they stress all day long. I can't explain why, why when I'm talking to my mother, and she simply asks me a question that is targeted towards the fear that I'm having, I collapse in front of her. I can't explain that. It's something like I've never experienced before. I want to read from you, from Psalm 55. You see, anxiety and fear is a tough thing. It is. Psalm 55, it's written by David, and we don't exactly know the context of this particular passage, but this is what it says. Listen to me, and it should be on the screen as I read. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away, be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. Pray with me. God, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for what I know you are doing in my heart. Father, I pray that you give me words to speak. And Father, I pray that our hearts will be the target of those words. And Lord, that you will meet a need this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanted to talk a little bit about fear this morning from a couple of different perspectives. Psalm 55 being one of them. And I just wanted to make out, I mean, I just want to make a couple, make out. <laughs> you know, my wife's been gone for a while. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
I'm very ashamed of myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> so in Psalm 55, when fear takes hold of me, and let me just tell you, I am preaching about my own experiences, hoping that it somehow resonates with something that someone here might be going through. When fear takes hold of me, and I finally isolated this to be a very spiritual scenario for me. When fear takes hold of me, it distracts from my purpose. The enemy wants to distract me. When fear takes hold of me, it distracts from my purpose or from what God has already done for me. One of my fears, you know, there are multiple ones, by the way. One of the fears that I have dealt with has been the issue of my own physical body. The ability to use my legs, for example. And those of you that have heard the story, you know that God has miraculously healed me on two occasions. I should not fear what God has given me. I should not fear the loss of a gift that God has given me. And yet, in a moment when somebody asks me about that fear, the very response of my body is to emulate the very thing I fear the most. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Fear distracts me from purpose, and it distracts me from what God has already done. And I think that's true for you, too. If we let fear take hold, it will distract us from everything that God intends for you to do, for me to do, for us to do as a church. It interrupts our lives. It's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to interrupt your life at all costs. That's what David wrote here. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me. Answer me. Do you hear him crying out? Will you listen to me, O God? I feel like you're quiet. I'm restless in my complaint. Have you ever felt restless in your petitions to the Lord? In my persistence, I'm still restless over and over and over, and it feels like you're so silent, O oh Lord. I am surely distracted, is what verse 2 says. And he goes on to explain, because of the voice of his enemy. I believe that fear leads to incorrect play, uh, praying. I, feel, I believe fear leads to incorrect praying. Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, if I fear the loss of my legs, if I fear the loss of the use of my legs, and I know that God has given me the ability to use my legs, and the fear is that loss, and, but the problem is Satan is, is exploiting my fear, and I'm praying about the issue of my legs. My prayer is misdirected. My prayer is misfocused. Suddenly I'm praying, I'm praying towards the object of my fear, and I'm not praying for the, to the problem of my fear. And if the problem of my fear is spiritual attack upon my soul, and it is, and I'm praying towards the object of my fear, my prayer is pointless. It's absolutely useless. Because what I need to pray is for God to remove the enemy from the stronghold that he has in my heart. That he needs to pull that and rip that completely out. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm scared about. See, the problem 
of it is that the enemy is trying to steal my confidence in what God has already done. He's trying to rob me of what I know God has done for me. Where I know that God has worked in my life. It leads to incorrect praying because it focuses on the object. Number three, it leads to incorrect action, I believe. Think about the parable of the talents, for example. The master leaves talents and leaves it for the servants to work with, and they each do something with it, except for one. And why does he not? Because of his fear. Because of his fear of the master. And so therefore he does the wrong action. And I think sometimes fear takes us down that road where we react in a way that is not what God intends. Because God's not a God of fear. Not for the Christian, not for the believer. I mean, our fear may very well bring us to the grace of God, but the very grace of God that brought us to him in that fear also removes fear from us. And he is not a God of this kind of fear for the believer, for the follower of him. Now, if you're lost here today, you need to be very afraid. You should be very afraid of the penalty of your sin. You should be very afraid of the consequences and the eternal consequences of that sin. But that's where grace comes in and removes that fear and all other fear after. Fear terrorizes. Look at verse 4. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear incapacitates. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Any of you dealing with anxiety? Any of you dealing with panic attacks? Any of you dealing with any kind of fear whatsoever? Do you find yourself sitting and thinking, I cannot even move? I can't get out of my car? I can't walk into the office today? I can't walk into the house? I can't do the very thing God's called me to do because I'm terrorized by my fear? I'm incapacitated by what it's doing to me? Has it occurred to you that maybe it's the enemy? Perhaps it's the enemy targeting you and attacking you and reaching to the depth of your soul that you never even thought was touchable by the enemy. David wrote this. Courageous David wrote this. And then look what he writes. And let me just tell you, I hope I'm not the only one in the room that's felt this way. I would fly away and be at rest. If you ever thought, I just want to get out of here. I just want to leave. I just want to leave it all behind. I just want to get somewhere and I want to be alone. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I don't even care where I live. I'll just live among the trees. I don't need a destination. I would, to get away from what I'm dealing with, the storm that's in my life, I would just sail away. That's what he's saying. I would hasten to that place of refuge from the stormy wind and the tempest. David's writing that. That's what I would do. Man, if I could just mount up with wings like doves and flutter away, that would solve my problems. But it really wouldn't. What about when I release fear? When I release fear's hold upon me? Turn one page over in your Bible, perhaps, to Psalm 56. These are completely unrelated psalms to each other, by the way. But I did find the content of them a great contrast, a wonderful contrast. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but let's start at verse 8. Verse 8 says, and again, the same, the same penman 
Verse 8 says, you have taken account of my wanderings. All right, he's praying to the Lord. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. We know that God has numbered the hairs upon our head. This is saying, you've put my tears in your bottle. You know every single molecule and every saline drop that has come out of the pores of my eye ducts. And you've kept them like a parent keeping lost teeth of a child or clipped hair of a newborn. It's like a scrapbook. Everything that makes me me, that you've created me to be, you're holding on to and you know about it. You're keeping it. You've got my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? And my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. My enemies will turn back in the day that I call. Got to have the right enemy in mind, though. In spiritual attack, there is but one enemy. One enemy. And he's really not the enemy of you and me. He's the enemy of God. And so when we think in terms of him wanting to steal, kill, and destroy, a lot of times we kind of put ourselves at the top of that. You know, it's like, man, that's all about me. No, he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy that which is God's. He's trying to steal you from God. He's trying to kill you from God. He's trying to destroy everything that God wants you to be. And me. I'm preaching to myself. I'm telling you, I really mean that this time. People say that all the time. I really am preaching to myself in this moment. It's not cliche today. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. When you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know what the next step is, you go with what you know. And what I know is that God is for me. He is on my side. He supports me. He strengthens me. And every day I have to suit up in the Spirit. And so do you. Every day. This I know that God is for me. Listen to the self-convincing. I'm going to remind myself of this every day if I have to. This one thing I know that God is for me. In God. How much have we been talking about in Christ? In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be what? Afraid. I shall not be afraid. I will not let fear take hold of me and train wreck everything God has planned for me to be. I won't do it. In God, I've put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And even more so, what can the enemy do to me? What can the real enemy do to me? Your vows, your vows are bonding upon me, O God. Listen to that draw upon the character of God. It doesn't really matter how strong or weak I am. What matters is that your vows that you've made to me as your follower, as your believer, that you love me, that you've given me grace, that you've given me mercy, that you hold on to me, that's what matters. Your vows, O God, are binding upon me. And they make all the difference in the world for every next step I take in life. I will render thank offerings to you. 
For you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Just a couple of points on this. I have to remember that God is for me. I have to remember that God is for me. And these are simple, simple points. But that doesn't make them easy. Simple and easy are not necessarily interchangeable. I have to remember that my worship itself is a spiritual weapon. You ever thought about that? That when I worship God, that becomes a spiritual weapon for me because I'm calling out to the character of God. I'm calling out to the nature of God. I'm I'm worshiping who God is and what he is is for me. And the minute I'm focusing on that worship, that becomes a spiritual weapon. That becomes a hedge of defense. That becomes everything I need God to be for me. Just through my worship. My worship not only realigns me to his character that's exposed, but my worship of the Father exposes my vulnerabilities, my footholds, and my strongholds. That's what's been happening to me over the last 13 weeks, or at least part of that, as the revelation of stronghold of fear, the revelation of the enemy's attack that I was so unprepared for, or unexpected of, expecting anyway. My prayer perspective must change. And by this, it kind of goes back to what I said about praying against the object of our fear. It needs to pray from intercessory, which is that's what that would be. God, I'm just praying for this problem. I'm praying for this fear. I'm praying for this wayward child. I'm praying for whatever that fear may be. And it changes from intercessory prayer to supplication and thanksgiving. God, you are who you are. Thank you for making me the way you've made me. Thank you for giving to me what you have given. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. And we praise God in that. So it changes our prayer life from intercessory, which could be ineffective for the purpose of our fear, to, suppl- to, to, uh, to thankfulness and supplication of God. So some practical things, some steps that I think that will be helpful. Things that I personally have been doing, just so you know. Practical steps that I personally have been taking in my process. I've been leaning on another. And I didn't really do this in the beginning. I honestly didn't. It took weeks and weeks and weeks for me to do this. And I've leaned on three people. Besides my wife, I've leaned on three people. One of them is right here in this church. One of our deacons. It's one of these moments where I was standing down here, you know, because that's what we do at the end of the service, ready to respond and minister to you in need because we as ministers are perfect in all the things spiritual. Not knowing that down here on this spot, my soul was in agony. Not knowing that if, if any child or adult came down, I would pray with them and I would give them exactly what the Lord would give me to give them in that moment because that's what God does. But in that moment, knowing that my soul was deeply distressed, I left at the end of the service and I found the deacon and I said, brother, I need you to pray for me. I want you to pray right now for me. What is the problem? What's the matter? I mean, again, the surprise came out. Why would I need to pray for you? I'm dealing with fear. You don't need to know any other details. I'm just dealing with some fear. And man, he prayed over me. And so he's texted me over the course of the weeks after that. I've got a good friend in Memphis. Immediately, I've been texting him. I'm like, I'm dealing with fear. I don't even want to talk about it. I just want you to know I'm, to pray for me. 
Don't ask me any questions. Don't come see me. Don't try to talk to me about it because I'm not going to answer your questions, but I'm dealing with fear. And that's how adamant I was about it. Same with my mother. I've had her praying. Three people. Now you can join. That's a lot of people. If you see me walking down Hamilton in the mornings, God has so done a work on me spiritually. He has so restrained my efforts spiritually that he has stopped me from running. And I mean that with all my heart. I ask permission every single day when I'm out walking, God, can I run today? And that may sound trite, that may sound elementary, that may sound trivial to you, but that is what the God I serve is expecting of me in the moments that I am walking two miles a day. He wants my submission to this point. And if I get to Lemons when I'm walking down Hamilton, I've sought the Lord and I've said, God, can I run a mile today? He says, yes or no, period. That's what he does. And I honor it. But my time walking with the Lord has been the most amazing time that I've had over these last 13 weeks. I can't imagine not doing it at this point. Ironically, it's one of the things God told me to do at the beginning of the year and I've not been as diligent as I should be about it. We should lean on another, texting, calling. The second thing I'm doing is I'm creating new sanctuaries. I'm creating new sanctuaries for myself. I have three very specific ones. One is the orchard. When nobody else is here and I'm in the office, I will go up into the orchard and I will lay on my face sometimes and I will pray and cry out to the Lord, this is a moment I need you to sustain me, O oh God. We need, ha we need sanctuaries in our life that are a little bit different than what we're used to. We've got to be out of the box in our worship with the Lord. And I'm not, trying, I'm not saying we gotta, we're trying to be out of the box in a way that's somehow uh, demonstrative of the way we think worship ought to look. I mean, we've got to be out of the box spiritually for ourselves so that we meet the Lord where He wants to meet us, which is really in the recesses of our heart. So one of my sanctuaries, as far as the physical place, is the orchard. The other one is my walks. I mentioned that already. And then the corner of my bedroom. It's where we iron clothes, you know, and I take the ironing board and put it up. And I sit there in the floor sometimes. And it becomes this personal sanctuary for me, for me. The third thing I'm doing is I'm utilizing my imagination more in my prayer life. And that sounds, I know to you that may sound silly, but my imagination is sensational. And so... God is using my imagination to help me worship him better, help me hear from him better. And I think that's helpful, and maybe that's helpful to you, to use your imagination more in your prayer life. And what does that mean? Well, maybe it means picturing Jesus on the cross. Maybe it means picturing the nails in his hands. Maybe it means picturing yourself in the throne room. Maybe it, for me, for me, one day I was picturing and walking with Jesus, simply walking down a road, and everything about it, I pictured in my mind. And I set the whole stage and the scene in my mind. And in my mind's eye, I walked with the Lord in a very literal sense. So using my imagination in my prayer life, setting up every morning, excuse me, suiting up every morning with the armor of God. Suiting up every morning with the armor of God. And for me, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of the first part of the verses of Hebrews chapter 6, I mean, uh, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, where the whole armor of God is in, there, is in there. Verse 10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I focus on those particular words, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then later in 11, it says, stand against the schemes of the devil, because that's what I'm fighting. I'm fighting the schemes of the devil, and you are too, even if you don't recognize it. 
And then down in 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be, depending on your translation, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And I told my wife just a few weeks ago, I'm like, honey, this is my evil day. These are my evil day right now. And so every morning, I literally get up, and I pray these words, and I say these words, and I suit up with the armor of God on purpose. Because that's what it takes. That's what it takes. You know, I, I recently heard this man talk. Dr. David Allen, he's a, he's a professor of preaching at one of our seminaries. And I loved something that he talked about. Um, I brought with me, hey, uh, a little plug there. <laughs> when, when kids. <laughs> All right, so anyway, in this bag, I brought something. You know, I told you at the beginning of today that um, my grandfather had me feeling around the bottom of the, what felt like the ocean for an anchor. I brought an anchor today. This is not the one at the bottom of the lake, by the way. We never found that anchor. This anchor belongs to me. It did used to belong to my grandfather, and I own it now, and I love it. You know, it keeps me in place. That anchor's like five pounds. So if I go out on a little lake with my kids, we drop the anchor because we found a little mess of fish that we're trying to fish for. It works, but it's not going to hold a big ship. And so one of the things David, um, Dr. Allen pulled, pointed out was he started talking about that there's three categories of anchors. One is called the lunch anchor, and it's an anchor that you have if you're just in a harbor or bay or whatever. There's, you know, it's, it's a nice, calm day. There's no real big current or winds. You just drop this, just a standard, basic, run-of-the-mill anchor, and everybody's kind of still watching the, the water. You know, they're still kind of working the boat. But then there's another anchor that's the working anchor, and it's the, it's the one that's designed specifically for this ship. I mean, it's been engineered to the specs of that particular vessel. It's used as a working anchor out in the ocean, out at sea, for whatever purposes is needed that are beyond just little harbor lunchtime <laughs> excursions. But then a lot of ships, many ships will have a third anchor. Did I hold up four fingers? <laughs> they have a third anchor. And it's called... The storm anchor. And this is the anchor that's in reserve. This is the anchor that if all of a sudden the, the, the weather just goes, goes south and the ocean is just churning and you've got to somehow drop anchor somewhere, but you need something to hold on tight. The storm anchor is what the mariners want to drop, and they'll drop that to hold the ship in place. And it's a mammoth of an anchor. In fact, it's almost burdensome to have to carry it because it's so heavy. I mean, like on the boat. I mean, I, we couldn't carry it. You know, some of these things are like 75,000 pounds. You know what Hebrews tells us? In chapter 6, Hebrews tells us that he is the anchor of our soul. That he is the anchor of our soul. And that that anchor bears down into the floor of the ocean. And the ship doesn't move. As long as it is tethered to that anchor, it's not going to move. Now, of course, my grandfather's rope broke, I know, so don't start sending me emails about the inconsistency of my story correlations. But my grandfather's not using chains designed for his particular boat. Anchors designed for his particular boat. And the Bible says of Jesus that he is the anchor of our soul.
I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what you're going through. I may have spoken completely to emptiness today, as far as I know. What I know is that I have been faithful to exactly what God has told me to say. I know that I've been faithful to the moment that God has placed me in. And I know that 13 weeks down a road of fearful travel for me, I'm holding tightly to the anchor of my soul. And I'm shifting the way I view my Lord as a result. About halfway through this thing, my mom sent me a text. And she said, has it occurred to you that maybe God's needing to teach you what other people are going through? Has it occurred to you that maybe God's needing you to experience a little bit of what people deal with, with extreme anxiety, fear, difficulties? It has occurred to me. And if that's the case, then to God be the glory. To God be the glory. He is working in my soul. And like I said, I've never preached a message that had anything to do with anything I was in the middle of. But I'm in the middle of this. If you see me walking down Hamilton, I covet your prayers. What about you? What about you? Where are you in your walk with the Lord? Where are you, spiritually speaking? How are the recesses of your heart? How is your soul? It's one thing to know that I'm going to be with the Lord forever when he takes me from this earth, but right now I'm on this earth. And is, it my, is my soul, portions of my soul, at risk? Because I feel like many days I am in the battle for portions of my own soul. Could that be you today? If it is, I want to invite you. Now, we don't have us all here today. Mike's here. I'm here. More importantly, the Lord is here. More importantly, these steps are here. And they're not just for walking up and down. They're for helping us swallow our pride. They're for helping people like me that would stand there in front, in front of you, agonizing on the inside and not turning around and praying in my spot. What is the Lord doing in your heart? What is it that he is trying to help you work through? What is the storm that's going on? What is the fear that takes over? What is the anxiety? A wayward child? A difficult marriage, loss of a loved one, the anticipated loss of a loved one. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's as many as there are people here. I would encourage you, this day, would you come forward? Would you come down, pray, bring that, drop that? This is our sanctuary, but this is also the time that we've assigned to help us do business with the Lord. Our musicians are going to come back out and lead us at a time of response. And Brother Mike's going to come down. I'm going to stand down here too. I'm going to ask that you stand. Um, I think they're coming out. You can stand anyway. There's Miss Susie. She's going to start playing. Oh, there we go. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not always real great with the cues, Rex. Whatever God's placed on your heart to deal with today, I'm going to invite you to do it. I'll pray with you. Mike will pray with you. If you're a woman here today, 
and you're uncomfortable with us, there are ladies, there are godly ladies in this room who come down and pray with you. That's okay too. More importantly, come and spend time with the Lord this morning.